0: This is the Women Talking About Learning podcast. My name is Andrew Jacobs. Welcome. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this, the imposter syndrome episode of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. This is something of a special and something special. It's of a special because this isn't your usual version of the podcast. If you've listened before, you'll know a typical episode of Women Talking About Learning has two women speaking and sharing. For this episode, we have 25 women's voices sharing their thoughts, feelings, approaches and tactics in respect of imposter syndrome. It is something special. I say this because I've been lucky enough to hear these recordings in order to be able to assemble this episode. This is visceral. I've heard each of these recordings three or four times each, some of them more, and they are astonishing in their honesty. Every woman who has contributed to this episode has done so voluntarily And each of their contributions is something that, on its own, is worthy of a dedicated listen. Together, all these recordings are one of the things that I'm probably most proud of in my career in learning and development. And I've been in learning and one for another for 30 years. This episode is longer than usual. We polled people online as to whether it should be one long episode or two short ones. We're publishing it as one, but there are lots of points to stop, pause, and reflect, and we strongly suggest that you do so. I want to thank everyone who's contributed. You have made something that's really special. First up, here's Dr. Sarah Thompson talking about imposter syndrome.
1: My experience with the imposter syndrome began as a child, I grew up in a traditionally middle-class family, my parents were educated, and yet my voice was often not heard, nor was my opinion or thoughts asked for or valued, which created challenges for me growing up. My self-esteem was poor, and I found that I shouldn't share my voice. I believed that I shouldn't share my voice and this transferred into my professional career. Despite having a master's degree, a doctorate degree in psychology, I have found myself for many years, not sharing my ideas, doubting myself, Doubting the knowledge base that I have. I was worried and concerned about making mistakes, personally and professionally. And to this day, even though my voice is being heard and I don't hold back in meetings, I do doubt sometimes when I share something. My self-doubt comes from our gender roles. Being dismissed by males, thinking that the school I attended to get my graduate degree or my doctoral degree, because it was an Ivy League, I didn't meet the standards, I couldn't compete and couldn't work with those who attended more prestigious schools. From these experiences, my personality is I am an overachiever. I seek professional uh, perfectionism, and that creates more anxiety for me. Just thinking about creating this this recording. Will it be good enough? Will I have shared my voice enough? In my fifty years of life, I've come to realize that at times people will want to hear what I have to say, and other times. I will be dismissed, and I won't own that dismissiveness. That is a choice that that other person is making.
0: When I heard Sarah's contribution, I realised there wasn't a better place to start. Next up, here's Jane Harrison, Taruna Goel, Stella Collins, Junk Evil, Katerina Hill, Mercia Kovacevic, and Lane Istevan talking about imposter syndrome.
2: Hi, this is Jane Harrison recording for Andrew Jacobs on the Women Talk About Learning podcast on imposter syndrome. Um, Imposter syndrome is widely misunderstood. I think that's the first thing I'd like to say. Um, If you kind of cast your mind back to Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes' research, um, what it pointed to was that highly successful people, um, despite having the credibility, the capability to succeed discounted their successes. So in other words, the normal feelings of discomfort that we might all feel when embarking on a new role, a new project or something like that would basically uh, trigger overwhelming doubt and uncertainty um, in these really highly successful women who they first uh, dis- um research with. What we know what we know now um, is that it affects both men and women. Um, and they thought this was down to a number of factors. Um, gender stereotypes, hence the women. So you know th- I think there's a lot more opportunities for women since 1978 when the initial research uh, went out. Um, but we do still have a long way to go, which is why I think there are more women in than there are men. Status and background can also play a part. So, you know, if you're the first person in your family um, to go to university, for instance, you might feel that you don't belong um, and that also might amplify feelings of imposter syndrome um, and culture and ethnicity as well. So race does matter um, and they, in black or people of colour, who might be experiencing um, imposter syndrome um, often discount their achievements due to positive discrimination or making up the numbers. And ultimately, imposter syndrome is not being able to internalise your achievements and what you're good at. um, And then obviously creating all sorts of problems. So when you are faced with something new, what tends to happen is You go into a bit of a cycle, um, panic, overwhelm. (laughs) You may then, which might in turn lead to procrastination type behaviour or feelings of perfection. So, you know, nothing will ever be good enough. Um, And those two kind of um, avenues aren't great. And then when you have succeeded again, because ultimately you will, instead of feeling great about it, um, what will happen is, or discount it and say, well, actually, it was down to the hard work that I put in, if you're a perfectionist. Or it was down to winging it, it was someone else that did it, it was about the team, if you're a bit of a procrastinator. So it's never about you, and it's never really about what you bring to the party.
3: My name is Saruna Goyal. I have been in the L&D industry for over 20 years. And yet sometimes I feel like an imposter. Reflecting back on my career path, what triggers imposter syndrome and these feelings of uncertainty and self-doubt are usually any major points of transition. I remember I felt these feelings after becoming a first-time manager and then a few years later when I moved into a senior leadership role. I didn't expect to reach where I did so quickly, so I did not believe that my success was deserved and that it came to me because of my hard work. I got a similar feeling when I immigrated from India to Canada 10 years ago. Although I landed with a job in hand, which by the way is not an easy feat, somehow I felt inadequate. It was rather tempting to believe that perhaps I just got lucky or maybe I was in the right place at the right time. As a new immigrant, I did not see many examples of women in the L&D industry who looked like me. And this underrepresentation made me feel like I didn't belong. Also, there were stereotypes about being a brown woman working in a trades environment. I still remember one of my first meetings uh, with a group of client subject matter experts who worked in the trades and within a unionized environment. I was the only woman at the table and perhaps even in the entire building. I was surrounded by men, all of whom were white and much older than me, and who assumed that I was there to take notes. It is rather difficult to feel confident in a room where there are existing stereotypes about your skills and competence. But I pushed through and the look on their faces when I started to conduct the meeting was priceless. Needless to say, I smashed a few stereotypes that day and I continue to do the same today. There are three things that have helped me overcome the imposter syndrome. Firstly, talking to others about it, especially other women who come from diverse backgrounds. I feel that sharing the challenge is half the battle won, and I have received some good advice just by opening up. This has also helped me mentor other people who may be feeling like an imposter themselves and could do with some support. Secondly, finding your allies, people who support you and advocate for you. I surround myself with mentors, peers, and friends in the industry who remind me of my achievements and are willing to share them with others. Finally, reframing the self-doubt and letting it propel you to learn and grow. Every now and then, when I get hit by the imposter syndrome, I try to shake it off. I find new ways to challenge myself and push myself outside my comfort zone. Hello, I'm Stella Collins.
4: I'm co-founder and chief learning officer at Stella Labs. I'm the author of a pretty popular book, Neuroscience for Learning and Development. And I've written a LinkedIn learning program on using neuroscience in learning and development. So why would I be worrying about imposter syndrome? Because I've got it. Yesterday, I had a very interesting conversation with our new employee, Karen Mouse. Look out for her, she's an up and coming star. And she was worried about imposter syndrome. She says, on your first day, you always feel as if you've got imposter syndrome. But she kind of implied that as CLO and founder of the company, I didn't have it. And I had to put her right. I had to say that, no, Karen, I have it too. Just because you can appear successful doesn't mean you don't have imposter syndrome. So today we talked about it again. And I was curious to find out what she knew about it. Unfortunately, she implied that research seems to show that intelligent people suffer from it worse than others. So that was quite a handy tip. But how else do I deal with it? Well, first of all, I recognize it. I recognize it's a cognitive distortion that I have, and that's all it is. I just need to recognize it. When I think about it, I'm not worse or better than anybody else. It's just, I am where I am. So that helps me. I also fake it till I make it. I did some drama training a few years ago and it's really useful for that and particularly when you're about to go and give a presentation for instance and you're really thinking about oh but somebody else's presentation is going to be better than mine i'm going to be nervous i'm going to ruin it don't think like that think about faking it till you make it and i use up that adrenaline in those circumstances so that i actually use the adrenaline to give me more energy to project myself better which seems to work and I think there's something about accepting that you are who you are and you're as good as you need to be. You don't need to be perfect. In fact, you can't be perfect. And I think the other thing that really, really helps is curiosity and recognising that you're curious because when you're curious, you learn new things all the time. So you can never, ever have understood everything. There's always going to be more to learn and more you don't know. So I'm going to keep Karen's belief with me for now that intelligent people suffer from imposter syndrome. And I'm really curious to know what you think about it.
5: My name is Joan Keevil and I'm Director of Designs on Learning and Chair of the eLearning Network. I worked in the BBC for 18 years and I don't remember feeling imposter syndrome when I was there, but I think that's because everybody, when they joined, uh, after six months, you could go on an attachment to another department to learn new skills. And that's what everybody did to work their way up. And so you just took that kind of thing in your stride and never thought maybe you couldn't do it. Um, Then I left the BBC and set up my own consultancy and I was much more comfortable doing e-learning than leadership development, even though I'd recently completed an MA in management learning and leadership at Lancaster University. I just didn't feel confident putting myself into a position where I was the leadership expert. Whereas in the e-learning world, I felt I was in my comfort zone. And over the years, I've used tactics like working with associates to get over that sense of, you know, not feeling quite competent enough. I have to say that now I'm in my 60s. It doesn't seem to matter quite so much what people think of me. My advice to my younger self would be to summon up my confidence and just go for it. Grab what opportunities you can and then take some time to reflect on how things went so that you can continuously improve. Let's put this
6: imposter syndrome to bed once and for all. My name is Katharina Hill. Oh, the imposter syndrome. I have to admit it has stood in my way quite a bit in the past and is still getting to me. Jobs I didn't apply to because I believed I wasn't qualified enough. Chances I didn't take because I was afraid of failing and even now just getting started with something I have a certificate stating that I am qualified to do it is a major barrier. The thoughts, who am I to do this? Am I good enough at this? And others are so much better at this are often there. And it's frustrating because I'm very much aware that this fear of failure is irrational and that if I really think about it for a minute, I know that I'm competent and actually know what I'm doing. I have a master's degree, I have additional training and certificates, years of experience, and yet, the fear of failing and the imposter syndrome make me feel like a silly little girl sometimes. My latest adventure is that I want to finally start teaching meditation and mindfulness a year after I got a yoga and meditation teacher's certificate. The other day, I talked to another yoga teacher about that I'm afraid that I don't know enough about it to teach it. Roughly translated, she replied, the day you think you know it all, when you think you're better than others, you've massively misunderstood something. As meditators and teachers, We need to keep a beginner's mind because we never know what greets us that day. What kind of monkey brain we have to deal with in our own head. It was such a good reminder to me that you don't have to be perfect or some kind of superhuman in order to teach. Teach what you know to others and inspire them and yourself to learn more. To stay curious and open-minded. We are never done with learning, and thus, we simply cannot know it all. Hi, my name is Mercy Kovacevic.
7: I'm a learning designer at MBIU University in Dubai, and I consider myself a leader in the making. So for many years, I have doubted myself, my skills, my abilities, and I was just really afraid that if I spoke up, if I asked for stuff, and if I made a move at work, something horrible would happen. And then, in the last year or two, I saw this report by Fosway group about the women in learning. I heard Kate Graham talk about the topic at multiple conferences and a couple of other women as well, and that got me thinking. I started observing the behavior of the men and women in my surroundings, and I realized that everything that was being said about this topic was true. And I'll share just three observations. So first, I worked on a project with a mixed team of men and women and when I asked them to estimate how much uh, their hourly rate would be, I saw a tremendous difference between how much experienced, well-educated women charged and how much the men charged, basically at least 50 to 70 percent more. Then I spoke to my husband about promotions because I was thinking of applying for a promotion, but I felt like I wasn't ready, and I was shocked to hear that in five years that he has been at his company, he openly asked for promotion and a salary increase three times, and it worked two out of those three times. My initial reaction when I heard that was, I would never do that, (laughs) and I don't know why, And then finally, I spoke to a female friend who was hesitant about applying for a job because she didn't meet every single requirement on a job posting. And on the other hand, I had male friends reach out to me and ask me to recommend them for jobs for which they weren't qualified at all, but they were still applying. And when I think about it, this all happened over the course of a few weeks, and I thought, wow (laughs) there's something wrong here why are we women like this of course we can sit around and wait for for people to start movements and complain about how the world is but unless we are willing to make a change in our own behavior nothing will change so having this awareness of the state of things i i started to approach things differently a couple of things helped me to overcome the state of imposter syndrome that was clearly limiting my growth and they are basically first I started connecting with other learning professionals through social media mainly targeting those who are in job roles that I wanted to have in the future I joined a couple of communities of practice where people get together to share experiences discuss problems and work on projects and I I found myself suddenly in conversations with CEOs and directors and managers and, and guess what? I found out that they're just human, like me, and we actually think in similar ways. So I would ask a question and find out that their idea for solving a particular problem is quite similar to mine. They're not superhuman because of their job titles. They just worked really hard and were not afraid of taking risks. And that deserves respect for sure. That leads me on to my second point which helped me overcome the imposter syndrome. And basically I decided that I will generate ideas rapidly and then just run experiments, see what works and what doesn't. So, for example, right now I'm no longer thinking Oh, if I share this idea, people might think that I'm stupid. I think if I share this idea, it might start something great, or somebody else might be inspired by it and make something good out of it. Or if it's not a good idea, then I can think of another one. <laughs> if, I de- if I think I deserve a salary increase, I'll put a case together and I'll go ask for it. If they say no, so what? I got nothing to lose because if I never ask, I might miss out on an opportunity. And finally, I made some small changes in my behavior that worked for me. I think each person has to um, figure out for themselves what those are. But basically, for me, it's being aware of the image that I project on other people in my surroundings, whether I'm interacting with them virtually or face to face. and. Um, For example, I like to power dress, it makes me feel more confident and I can see how people react to that as well because I'm typically one of the younger people in the room. I also pay attention to how I walk and sit and um, thinking, am I projecting confidence or the lack of it? And of course there's science behind it, you can look up Amy Cuddy's stuff and so on. And actually I have an anecdote, once a colleague from work, uh, told me, I saw you walking in the street, going to work this morning. You look like you're walking with purpose. <laughs> and I said, thank you, that's exactly what I'm going for. And it's no joke, I actually have a music track that I listen to when I'm walking to work. It makes me feel good. But jokes aside, if I'm in a meeting, I make sure that I add value to it, not just nod along and build genuine relationships with people around me with, without expecting things in return. So on my side, that's what what has helped me feel uh, good and confident in addition to continuous learning, of course. But does this mean I never, ever feel nervous about speaking up or, or reluctant to do something? Of course not, I have, I have those moments, I'm human, but the point is they don't last because I have these coping strategies and I actively seek feedback. And once you have this kind of growth mindset, then the fear is gone. There's no failure. There's only learning.
8: Imposter syndrome. That is really a hot topic right now. And what it means to me is feeling like, well, basically you're an imposter. You are posing as someone that you're really not. And for me, I have this voice inside of my head that frequently says, you're not smart enough you're not good enough, your design sense isn't as good as someone else, your writing skills aren't as good as someone else, Um, you don't know what you're doing, and it's very tough to battle. Recently, I was invited to be a speaker, and I had such self-doubt that I didn't think that I would be good enough to do it. But I had some friends encourage me, some connections and some friends and, and really tell me that um, that I would be good at it. So I took the chance and it went so well. I think that I, <laughs> I know more than I think I do. I have um, skills that I don't give myself credit for. So for anyone that's experiencing imposter syndrome, I think to get over it, is You just jump, you just do it and you have to silence that voice and sometimes you have to do things that are a little scary but once you have that experience and you prove to yourself that you are worthy and you can do it I think that's the way to break out of the imposter syndrome.
0: The last voice there was Lane Estefan. Lane, Katerina, Sarah... And many others in this episode were unknown to me be before we recorded. The aim of women talking about learning is to amplify women's voices, and to have talented and successful women contributing to this is simply amazing. Talking of talented and successful women, here is Michelle Parry Slater, Coral Condetjo-Dunachy, Dana James Edwards, Michelle Kay, Laura Coulter, Cameron Bailey, and Jane Davids talking about imposter syndrome.
9: My book proofs have just come back from the publisher and I'm staring at this thing with my name on it and not even recognising it. It's been such a journey of imposter syndrome and it's almost like, well, like I didn't create it. And it still lingers despite the book being here in front of me. How could I have ever written a book? How can I pretend to imagine it standing up next to my peers' books? Are other authors even my peers'? It's still lurking, but I've learned to sit in on those types of thoughts by reminding myself my peers are not who I wrote this book for. I wrote this book for other learning and development professionals like me, lone practitioners in organisations without a voice or someone to bounce ideas off, to stave off their own imposter syndrome and be their cheer squad. And if I can help just a handful of learning and development peeps, then the pain of birthing this book will have all been worthwhile. And it has been a painful birth. I can talk about L&D ideas at the drop of a hat, but be an author, I was absolutely paralysed for months, embarrassed that I couldn't write my stuff down well. And I really didn't know who to ask without being exposed as a fraud. So despite having a book contract, I wrote nothing for months. I just couldn't. I just didn't know where to start or how and it wasn't until I trusted others and I talked it through with them that I gained the confidence to get the ideas out of my head and onto paper. I worked with a fantastic copywriter Roisin Woolno who listened to my ideas via audio and she gave me the basis for each chapter off the back of my audio recordings but even then I felt like a fraud somebody else was writing my book for me But when I saw what she'd done with my words on the page, I was springboarded with the positive energy I needed to finish the whole book. Roisin hadn't written my book. She'd taught me how to write it. I'm not sure I'd ever got over the imposter syndrome without the women's voices who were my cheer squad. Roisin will Alison Jones, Laura Overton, Lucinda Carney and my mum. Be brave. Find your own cheer squad.
10: Hello, I'm Carl Candes. odanike I'm an e-learning consultant um, and probably like most people who deal with imposter syndrome, you know, I deal with this absolutely every day, um, you know, whether it's before a big presentation, before I'm delivering some training on a topic, um, in discussion with clients, with new clients, um, you know, in, in big meetings, just whenever I'm having to go out there and display the knowledge that I have. I have this voice inside my head that's saying you're not experienced enough, you don't have enough knowledge, you've you've not worked enough, you've not done enough. Um, and I think that it it is so difficult to try to overcome that voice and it can certainly hold us back. And um, so I went freelance last year and actually, um, because you are then the face of your company, because you're the one that people need to go to, that feeling of being that imposter syndrome is, is even more highlighted because you're it, you're the whole company. And I think um, I had to really develop ways to try and overcome that. So there's three kind of things, three top things that I would say that helped with my imposter syndrome. Number one was surrounding myself with people who made me feel good, who are other strong women. And I think people who... um who, who basically who big you up, who know that you have the knowledge and skills and the experience that you have and that remind you of that as well and that, that make you feel good and that make you feel um, like less of an imposter. The second thing is being open to learning and failure and change and criticism. I think it's absolutely inevitable that we will all make mistakes. We all make mistakes all the time and just because you've made a mistake doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing or you're not experienced enough or you don't have the skills and the knowledge. You still have all of that, you just made a mistake. And it's about learning from that mistake and sort of accepting that failure can happen and sometimes that will happen and it will be uncomfortable, but you can move on and you can learn from it. And then the last one is is the most difficult, I think, but it's about putting yourself out there. And that's so, so difficult, I know when you have When you feel like an imposter but you know i feel like that all the time and i still put myself out there and put myself forward for things you you are the only you in the world right so you have a unique point of view and a unique voice that deserves to be heard and i think If you put yourself out there, whether it's, you know, on social media or um, a blog that you're writing, a podcast, video, however it is that you want to put yourself out there, put yourself out there and you'll see over time. It's sort of fake it till you make it a little bit. Um, The more that you put yourself out there as a specialist and as someone who knows what they're doing, the more that you'll start to feel that way.
11: I'm Dana James Edwards, but in the professional world of learning and development, people know me as Diversity Dana. No surprises, it's because I work in the field of diversity and inclusion. I remember the first time I heard about imposter syndrome. Honestly, I felt so relieved because there was finally a word for what I had been feeling for such a long time. And other people were feeling it too. It wasn't just me and I wasn't alone. It was such a relief to feel that, to know that. And that's why I want to speak about it today so that the people who are listening know that others are feeling it too and that they aren't alone. Earlier this year, I read an article on the BBC by Cheryl Nance Nash, and it was talking about why women, especially women of colour, experience higher rates of imposter syndrome. And on reading it, I felt so validated. I could have written that myself from my own experiences. I'm a woman of colour, but also an immigrant. I moved to the UK when I was 24 and I don't think that I felt imposter syndrome until I made the move and started working for a big four firm with a high level of internal competition. It was like my brain always seemed to be thinking, Dana, you don't belong here. You're from a tiny island in the Caribbean. You went to a local university at home everyone around you is more qualified. They went to better schools. They've had more experiences. They know better. They've done more. And no matter what I achieved, no matter how capable I proved myself, I still felt played by doubts. And I don't think anyone looking from the outside would have been able to guess what I was feeling, but I walked with it every day and it was really heavy. Now, I wish I could say that I managed to eradicate imposter syndrome forever, but it's something I still walk with today, although I am getting better and better. Now the thoughts are things like, are they only approaching me or asking me to work on this equity, diversity, and inclusion project or learning or deliverable because I'm Black, right? Despite my many achievements in the space and the power of my work, I often stop and ask myself, look, am I the freelance equivalent of a diversity hire in this situation before I accept? And when I find myself doing that now, I pull up a document that I've Keep. Uh, It's a highlight reel with reminders of the work I've done, of the things I've achieved, of some of the feedback that I've received, and I keep it really close at hand. After a couple minutes reading it, the demons are usually kept at bay, and that's what works for me now. And so I recommend that everyone who is still managing imposter syndrome find something that works for them in the same way, because we are all of us deserving of our place in the world. And sometimes we just need to let ourselves catch up to where the rest of the world already is.
12: Hi, I'm Michelle Kay, and this is my imposter syndrome one. I think we all feel like an impostor at some point in our careers. It can fade and return over and over again. One of my memories is uh, membership of the LPI. I'd been a, a member for years and years and somebody suggested that I apply to become a fellow. I thought, who? Me? But I'm just a simple IT trainer. I don't have the, the the what I thought were the special skill sets to to, to achieve that, that highest level of membership. They all seemed to be somebody I knew, somebody I'd heard of. But I thought about it and you know, I, I had skills and experience, so eventually I applied and I was awarded it. To this day, I'm still surprised, but it was given to me by other people. So obviously, they felt that I deserved it. More recently, oh, um, how about this podcast? You've listened to them, other recordings, haven't you? You'll know the caliber of people who have been included. Leaders in the L&D field, famous in our circles. And yet, there I am. I'm the online learning one by the way I'm still just an IT trainer but here's the thing I have listened and learned through my career that spans oh, almost 25 years and I talk to people I share experiences I share thoughts and when I speak to them I'm actually speaking to them on the same level. So, apparently when people are listening to me, they feel I have something to say. So I'm not necessarily the imposter that I thought I am. And to be honest, it surprises me, even today. I follow other people on their blogs and LinkedIn, And I'm surprised and grateful that people follow me back. So here's the thing. Look around and see what other people are saying about you. They listen to you. Try to believe that they're telling you the truth. But don't worry if you don't yet believe in yourself. You have friends and family who will believe in you until you can too.
13: I'm Laura Coulter. I'm a K-12 educator transitioning into instructional design, and I battle imposter syndrome constantly. For over eight years, I've been a technology and learning coach. That means I train instructors on integrating technology and teaching best practices. I have a lot of experience analyzing their needs and developing instructional material that meets those needs. I create performance support material, micro job aids, online courses, and instructor-led courses. And I plan and implement each year's worth of learning, recruiting on-campus experts to share and coaching them through creating training for adults. So why do I feel I still don't know enough? Very recently I had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn to chat about a product manager role, a learning product manager. This type of role wasn't on my radar, so I did a lot of research on the day and a half before the chat. I think I took two online courses and watched a webinar. As I learned, I thought about how important that job role was, and maybe I wasn't the right person for it, since I was still learning the corporate ropes. When we did have our chat, one of my first questions was, why me? What was it about my profile that made you think I would be a good fit for this role? In retrospect, maybe I shouldn't have started with that question, but I really wanted to know. And I really didn't think I had a chance at this job anyway. We had a lovely conversation. And as I learned more about what the role entailed, I could see where my skills could be applied and well. But I still felt the need to say out loud what I thought my weaknesses were. I tell myself that it's important to be honest but a part of me knows I was self-sabotaging. The role felt like it was made for someone who knew more than me, so let me just take myself out of the running. He did encourage me to apply. I'm still scared.
14: Karen Bailey. I don't know if I've ever really felt like a fraud, but I've often felt like I'm unworthy. When I was 12 years old, my mum left my abusive father and we started again. We didn't have much money, but we were happy. I did okay at school, I went to college, and then I was the first in my family to go to university. My mum said her proudest day in her whole life was seeing me graduate. I'm a really hard worker, a workaholic if I'm honest. I've got promotions and worked my way up, and I have a great job at a big company running a fantastic function with a brilliant and talented team. Yeah, in a dark recess of my mind, I always feel like I could lose it all and be back being a waitress or working behind a bar like I was when I was 18. There's nothing wrong with these jobs. I love doing them, but somehow I don't recognise the hard work that I've put into the job and career that I have and I love. I'm always in awe of those I see getting firsts in master's degrees and PhDs, and I feel somehow... I'm not clever enough to do what I do. I don't know if it's held me back, probably. I don't put enough effort into pushing my own reputation or telling people about my accomplishments. I wonder if my public face of my imposter syndrome is humbleness. Perhaps the reason I don't talk about my achievements is because perhaps they aren't as good as I think Perhaps they're not good enough, or other people, like those with the Masters and the PhDs, could do better. I've been in learning and development long enough now to know that's not true, and I'm confident in my own thinking, my own opinions, and I have some really great people around me. Yet somehow, inside me, there is still that 12-year-old girl whose father said she should never be anything And she'll never amount to anything. And sometimes I just wonder whether that might be true. Imposter
4: syndrome. Uh, Yeah, it's real. The feeling of self-doubt. The feeling that you shouldn't be somewhere. The feeling that you're not qualified to comment on a post or in a community discussion. I've often attended webinars and Twitter chats and held back from adding a comment. What value would I have to share? Why would someone be interested in what I had to say? I've typed so many comments that I've then deleted through fear that they be found silly. But it is with the support, encouragement, the little nudges, sometimes pushes, and positive feedback from my connections that I now feel a little bit braver and I'm beginning to believe that people are interested in what I have to say.
0: Welcome back. You may have noticed this isn't a radio quality recording and that doesn't matter. By setting limits on ourselves about what is not isn't acceptable, though, we create tensions that we just don't need. That's one reason why I was really happy to host such diverse recordings and thoughts of so many women. Next up, here's Hannah Gore, Tabitha Dragonberry, Nikki Hobson, Martine Bolton and Tammy Matsumoto talking about imposter syndrome.
15: When asked for a piece about imposter syndrome it brought out the imposter in me i was exceptionally worried that i was going to get it wrong that i wouldn't make any sense that it wouldn't resonate with anyone and and that's really the crux of imposter syndrome but imposter syndrome can also be a good thing it steps you outside your comfort zone it moves you to a different place and that could only be a millimeter away from your current comfort zone it could be a mile away but what I've learned is that you never get imposter syndrome about things that you're confident about. You don't worry about when you're making a cup of tea if you're actually making it right. You you worry about things that you that you don't think you can do confidently. And what I've learned is, is that I should have the same amount of confidence in me that everybody has in me that's asking me to do the thing that I actually find uncomfortable. And, and that really drives home the importance of Of knowing your comfort zone, knowing how to step out of it, knowing that there's people around you that are confident that you can step out of it, and then growing. And all imposter syndrome is, is a growth check. Am I ready to do this? And if you can go, yeah, okay, let's do this, then the imposter syndrome melts away. And then you step again and again and again. And that's how we grow as people. See imposter syndrome as a good thing. It's an ally by your side to make sure that you're not overly confident that you're actually paying attention to the thing that you've been asked to do so you can do it properly. But have the confidence in you that everybody else has standing around you and you'll be fantastic.
16: Hey, this is Tabitha Dragonberry, instructional designer, professor, registered respiratory therapist. And to me... When we think of imposter syndrome, I think society has conditioned us that we have to know everything. We have to be perfect. And in reality, there's no one out there that knows everything. And with that, it kind of weighs on us. If you've been given an opportunity to job interview or, hey, you get that job, someone saw in you the skills that was needed to be successful. And we feel like imposters because we didn't hit all those ticks. And sadly to say, when women see a job description, if they don't hit the ticks, they don't apply. Where conversely, men still apply for a job that they're not hitting all the ticks. And guess what? They get it. So I think really what women need to think about is that accept the opportunity. Someone saw something in you that made it shine that you were the best choice and move with it, grow. If there's something that you're not as confident about, it's okay to ask for help and identify ways to improve those skills. But that doesn't mean you're an imposter. You have the foundations. No one has everything. And it's okay if we don't feel 100%. I think really, we just need to kick imposter syndrome to the curb, kick those things that keep us from advancing or prevent us from relishing in our growth because you always feel inadequate in some way you're not you're juggling full-time work you're juggling different items i know for me i have that feeling i'm trying to i'm in a new job role i'm helping others i'm working on a new business venture to be able to get it all done And you just start questioning yourself if you can do it. And the answer is yes.
17: Hi, I'm Nikki Hobson from Focus and Develop. Imposter syndrome. Um, To me, imposter syndrome is that little voice in the back of my head that comes and fills me with self-doubt. Times where I sit there and think, why are they asking me? What do I know? There are so many more talented people around this community or this area of work. I I am not the expert. I do not feel worthy, essentially, of being asked uh, my opinion. My opinion doesn't count. uh, And it's all of these, essentially, negative thoughts that pop into my head that make me think... I can't do this. I'm I'm not worthy of this position um, that this person has me um, as a, a knowledgeable person or an influential person or whatever the situation may be. Uh that's not me. Uh and it is this little voice. And I'm aware of that. I some days can bat it off, um, tell it to disappear. Other days it drags me down into this little pity party of, oh gosh, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm faking it. Um, it, it depends really on the on the mood, um, the stress level of, of that day. Um, it's an ongoing project for me, um, making sure that I don't allow myself to get dragged into that negative space again and again and again, have more self-confidence, encourage myself to put myself in uncomfortable situations and challenge myself further in my work um, and generally try to prove it wrong. So when it tells me that, well, you can't do this and you don't know what you're talking about, no, I do because I've put myself in this situation and look, I, I flourished because of it and it, it came out really well and the outcome is really positive. So it's constantly challenging that little voice and challenging that imposter that's it's in my head. Um, can't say that I'm fully over it, but then again, does anybody ever get there? I don't know.
18: Hello, I'm Martine Bolton,
17: and I'm a
7: trainer,
18: coach, consultant, and author of the book, Your Thinking is Your Superpower. Imposter syndrome has been something I've experienced a few times in my life. It's usually crept in at the start of a new job or when I've been doing something new that's involved stepping out of my comfort zone. 20 years ago, when I was in my early 30s, I was working for a large financial services organisation in Southampton. I was a supervisor of a team of account executives, but I'd done a lot of product and process training prior to that and was offered a secondment to the central management and development training team. It was great experience and I loved it. However, in the early days, my imposter syndrome totally kicked in and there were times when I'd be there standing at the front of the training room, literally shaking in my boots. I was so nervous. I'd think, who am I to stand here in front of my peers and more senior managers, training them in this material that I've only just learnt myself? This kind of thing happened a number of times throughout my training career. I'd be asked to design or deliver a training workshop on a topic that I would know nothing about. The fear would kick in and I'd worry what I would do if I was asked questions that I couldn't answer. When I focused on facilitating learning and skill building though, rather than having to be the all-knowing expert, I relaxed a bit. With time served, my confidence grew, but I certainly didn't start out with it. Many of us have to earn our confidence by going through a bit of early discomfort. At the heart of imposter syndrome lies self-doubt and a lack of confidence in our skills, talents or accomplishments. Perfectionism can play a part too. Expecting ourselves to be really good at something when we're new to it is unrealistic. Self-doubt has definitely been a theme in my life and it can still pop up to say hello sometimes. It can be managed though because essentially it's only fear. Maybe it's fear of not being good enough or perhaps of not knowing enough. The fears aren't generally real though. They're a figment of our overactive imaginations. The chances are that you are today where you are through hard work and merit. It's not a fluke and you have everything you need within you to do a really good job with a bit of practice, feedback and support. I'm reassured by the long list of capable and talented people that have confessed to feeling like an imposter at times. People like David Bowie, Lady Gaga, Maya Angelou, Serena Williams, Natalie Portman, Tom Hanks, Emma Willis and many more. 70% of people are said to experience imposter syndrome at some time during their lives. So if you've had it too, you're in good company. What and how we think is foundational to our happiness, health and success in life. Our thinking can either be our superpower, empowering us to feel and perform well, or it can be our kryptonite, draining and disempowering us. My book contains lots of tools and strategies to help us manage our unhelpful thinking and to think well, feel great and perform at our best. If we waited until we felt confident, there's so much that we'd never do or try. We can manage imposter syndrome though through conscious breathing and positive self-talk. So don't wait for confidence, just do Take action. Tune out the inner warrior or critic, think good thoughts, breathe, smile, and step forward with confidence. Your thinking really can be your superpower.
19: What's imposter syndrome? It's a chronic self-doubt, sense of intellectual fraudulence that overrides any feelings of success. I learned, like, about imposter syndrome in the beginning of this year only. Um, before that, I thought it was my thing, it wa- that I was useless, I was never, ever good enough. I never knew it had a name, either that a lot of people suffer from it. The voices I listen in my head, uh, they make me feel I am a fake it's all down to earth, like nothing that I do is good enough. I always feel like I am a failure in anything, in any aspect of my life. It can be personal, it can be professional, it affects me in any scope. What is helping me uh, tackle these this moment um, is to have more awareness, self-awareness about when... I have this kind of triggers. Um, helps also to talk about my feelings, to listen podcasts, to read more about it, um, and to seek support anytime. Like, all the times that I'm feeling down, I go to my partner and we talk a lot, and he cheers me up. He shows me, it's not like this, you have done this, you have the complex that, uh, you have studied that, like, you have like a long journey and you have accomplished so much i don't know why you cannot see it and i I can't when i am in that state i I can't i just look at what i had done and i said like how many people have fooled around like i'm not capable of doing anything right um but really what helps me most is to know that i'm not alone that there is a lot of people out there having the same thoughts feeling the same way that I'm doing and we are fighting a battle against ourselves. So yeah, talking about it it helps a lot. And knowing more people also they feel the same as I do helps. I don't feel alone. I know I can do it
0: I love the diversity of voices, attitudes, thoughts, and beliefs that women are showing within this podcast. The next four are no different. I mentioned that we had 25 women, we've actually got 26 contributions. So, here's Christina Gad, Gemma Patterson, Gretchen Johansson, and Jane Harrison with a second piece, talking about imposter syndrome.
20: Imposter syndrome. I really thought I would have grown out of it by now. A Few years ago, I was in Warsaw, I was opening a conference and Perry Tims came up to me and said, Chris, I'm really looking forward to your session. And I said to him, look, I brought postcards because I'm not enough. And as I said it, I just thought, what on earth are you saying, Chris? You've been asked to open this conference. You've been given 40 minutes, whereas everybody else has got 30 minutes. People are expecting you to deliver something good because they've heard that you're, you're good at stuff and yet you still have this doubt creeping in. And it prompted me to write a blog which is called You Are Enough. And it made me really, really think about the things that I've been through, the experience that I've got. And it's not about being big-headed. I feel it's about valuing what you've become, valuing your experience, valuing who you are on this planet. You're a unique individual. And I wrote the blog with the hope that people would read it and consider who they are and their worth and their value in the world. So if you are any age, if you are human on this planet, you are enough because your experiences and your um, life skills and what you've been through make you completely unique. And there is no interaction that I could have that is going to be identical between two individuals. And that's the amazing thing about it. And imposter syndrome, actually, It wastes a lot of time. That's the other thing, is I get really actually cross about it because in the past, it's stopped me from doing things. It's stopped me from uh, launching into something new. It's stopped me from saying yes to some things as well. So it's a complete waste of time. And if you're out there and listening and thinking, yes, I suffer from imposter syndrome, then just have a little reflection and think about all the skills that you have, the experiences that you have and that you are unique and really kick it to the curb. That's my thought. I'm Gemma Patterson
21: and I've worked in learning and tech for the best part of a decade now. I've definitely experienced imposter syndrome and I still do. Um, that said, I'm not sure how much imposter syndrome has actually got to do with my gender. Um, I grew up in the 90s where the Spice Girls perhaps had a bit more of an influence on me than I'd like to admit. Um, And I was raised by incredibly powerful, strong women. And perhaps because of that, I've always felt like being a woman is a bit of a superpower. Um, Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I've definitely experienced imposter syndrome. There are times even now when... I feel like I don't belong in a room or that everyone there knows more than me. Um, but I'm not sure that that is directly because of my gender. Um, even working in technology and digital, which are typically male dominated industries, I've never felt like an imposter because I'm a woman. And um, the reasons that I have felt a bit of imposter syndrome are things like perhaps I felt like I don't have as much experience or um, Perhaps I'm feeling like I'm winging it, which definitely happens. Um, And I'm yet to meet anyone who doesn't feel like they're winging it at least some of the time. Um, So maybe on a deeper level, it is connected to gender. Who knows? Um, I know that other people have experienced imposter syndrome and specifically because they are female. So this isn't invalidating that. I'm just making an observation based on my own lived experience. Um, I think the reason that I say I don't think it's... um, the, the gender thing that's making me feel like an imposter is that throughout my life and my career, I've been surrounded by incredible, amazing people of all genders, um, but perhaps women in particular, who do what I call lift as they climb. Um, so they create opportunities, they open doors, they, um, they share their platform, they role model authentic behaviour, and that makes it feel safe to experiment and learn from failure. Um, Like I said, not just women, I'm fortunate to have built relationships with allies of all genders who've opened their doors, made time to share their experience, um, whether they're friends, mentors, colleagues, bosses, people I've met in the pub, (laughs) Uh, people I've stalked online because I think that they're interesting. Um, But I think those connections have really helped me to overcome those moments when I do feel like I perhaps don't belong in the room. Um, I think for anyone who feels like an imposter I would say you're not alone. Find someone who you trust and ask them about how they've experienced that feeling and how they got over it because it will be different for everybody. Um, lean into the positives of what you can take from it rather than shrinking back and focusing on the negative things that it makes you feel. Everybody's been there and um, I think we need to normalise sharing that not everybody feels like they're on their A-game all the time. I think it, especially um, in 2020, it's really taught me that it's okay to be human and to, um, to admit when you need a bit of help and to, to talk it out when you're feeling a little, bit, um, a little bit stressed. So let's normalize sharing what our challenges are and help each other overcome them.
22: Hello, my name is Gretchen Johansson. I'm currently an instructional designer for a large communications company. Imposter syndrome is something I never really struggled with as a teacher in the public education sector. I was extremely confident in my abilities throughout my career and naively. So at the beginning of it, when I wasn't sure of things, I wasn't afraid that I would be looked at as inadequate in my field. I never really heard the term imposter syndrome until I entered corporate America and began my journey as an instructional designer. The day I heard someone define it, I said, that's me. I had been feeling all of those inadequacies as an instructional designer almost daily. Do I measure up to my colleagues? Do they know I am not always sure of what I'm doing? Are they going to think I'm a fraud that I have finagled my way into this industry somehow? And I haven't a clue of what I'm doing. In retrospect, I think a lot of it has to do with how I feel. I fumbled my way into the industry. I did a lot of research myself, bridging knowledge gaps and believing I could before I knew I could. I don't have a formal education in instructional design, but I do have a comparable degree in education. So when I'm feeling like an imposter, I have to remind myself that I was a teacher for almost 10 years. Every day I wrote lesson plans or rather I designed instruction. I facilitated those lessons and made the learning fun and engaging for all those 10 years. That's a lot of experience to bring to the table as an entry level ID. I should be more confident in myself and just when I feel confident in my ability, something new comes along that creates that seed of doubt, that feeling I'm an imposter all over again. It can be anything from a new business client with a unique problem for which I need to find a solution, using a tool in a way I've never used it before, or even branching out and writing blogs geared towards industry professionals and those transitioning into the ID field. That last one, that plays hard on my mind all the time. I was writing professional content for Idle Courses Academy, with less than a year of experience under my belt as an official ID. I always wondered if there was a big neon sign pointing to the fact that I'm a fledgling in the industry when my blogs posted, never mind the fact that I was speaking from all of the years of my experience combined designing instruction. It takes others paying me a compliment or coming to me for advice that I'm able to snap back to it and feel more confident again. I think that imposter syndrome is something I and many will always struggle with, especially when we set big goals for ourselves. And moreover, after we've reached those goals and sit with our accomplishments for a while, aside from reminding myself and proving to myself that I bring a lot to the table. Another way I combat the feeling of imposter syndrome, is setting the next big goal. If I am working towards something else, I don't have time to worry and contemplate this imposter feeling. I am moving towards greater things.
2: Jane Harrison here, recording for Women Talk about learning podcast on imposter syndrome. Um, I first encountered imposter syndrome back in 2006, I think it was, when I was actually having coaching myself. Um, despite... All evidence. I, you know, I was very successful. I just brought in some very large accounts for the organization I worked with. I was a top salesperson. I've got a number of qualifications. Despite all that evidence, um, I just didn't believe that I was any good at what I did. Um, and in fact, that I would be found out um, that I shouldn't be there and I didn't belong um, very much felt like a duck out of water. It was my coach at the time that introduced me to um, imposter syndrome, and I'm very thankful that she did. Um, since then, I've um, delved into it far more as I've been uh, studying coaching myself. Um, it does stand out with clients a lot, uh, especially very successful female clients. I've noticed it definitely more, although I don't think it's just females that um, that are kind of open to it. Um for me, it's really, it's about discounting what we're good at. It's, it's, it's kind of like lack of confidence, lack of self-efficacy, and then some. And these beliefs and are so entrenched from a young age that it's hard to sometimes make a shift, but it can be done. And the first thing that I do with clients is really to help them to understand what it is, raise awareness about how it's showing up for them. What's the chatter, you know? So what are they telling themselves? What's the narrative that sits behind some of their stories about what, what does it mean to be successful? Um, you know, what, what does it mean to actually achieve certain things? And, you know, for a lot of them, um, it's about letting go of per- perfection. It's being really self-compassionate. Um, and it's also learning how to fail well as well, um, because most of them are very frightened of failing. Um, So there's a big piece around vulnerability and imposter syndrome. And some of the things that we might do from a practical point of view is kind of starting with logging all their successes. Um, You know, sometimes you just need to see the evidence in front of you. So um, personally, I I created a book with lots of testimonials in it, um, lots of thank yous. Any time I kind of did anything that I was proud of or, you know, was was a highlight that went in the book. I don't tend to do so much of that now because it's kind of ingrained that as soon as I kind of an imposter rears her head, I'll start questioning actually where's the evidence? Where is the evidence that I can't do this when actually every other time I've done this before? So... Um, Beating imposter syndrome <laughs> um it isn't isn't easy. we know that changing beliefs are hard because actually we're we're constantly working against um yeah working against ourselves, really you know, so we're looking for information that fits our worldview rather than um this new world view that is is better for us, so it takes a lot of effort um but it's definitely something that's well worth it in the end um Will, will I ever beat it 100%? Mm, probably not. Um, you know, these these are, as I say, well-ingrained beliefs. Um, it doesn't stop me doing things anymore. So I think that's the bonus. Um, but, you know, <laughs> can't have everything. Um, I think I'll always have some level of discomfort when I'm going into something new or a new project. But I think that's just life. And that's okay, as I say, as long as it doesn't stop me. Or I don't go down the procrastination route or, yeah, turn into a perfectionist.
0: Our last two voices are two people I'm very pleased to have within my circle of friends. They took the brief and gave us some truly memorable thoughts. Here's Alex Watson, but first Christine Lior Locher talking about imposter syndrome.
23: Hello, my name is Christine Leo Locher and I wanted to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. It uh, gives me a very hard ride sometimes, as it does probably for a lot of us. Very often for me, it's it comes up when it's the difference between how I feel on the inside and how I feel like I should be on the outside. And that's either either based on what I think is happening on the outside or on kind of snippets I hear that I then assemble into this elaborate picture of the outside which might or might not exist in reality. Um, I thought I'll share a bit of a personal story. So I'm aware that this is the Women Talking About Learning podcast and in many ways in these kind of spaces I feel like an imposter and in some ways actually I probably am because the thing is I don't actually identify as female. Some of you probably know this or have heard and seen me talk about this, but I actually identify as non-binary, so right in between the two genders, which makes me an imposter pretty much everywhere, because there is not a whole lot of us, so um, very often people just kind of forget that that exists as well and that we are out there as well. So often I find in female-only spaces, it's not not always very welcoming and I feel often drawn to trying to be in a way or to do things or to dress in a certain way that I fit in, when in reality that might not have been my first choice. I have to say to the credit of the learning industry, it's actually one of the most open spaces I've ever been in. Um, I think people go Go great lengths to make this a space that's truly open for everyone and that's quite frankly one of the reasons why i'm still working in that industry that doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement but the starting base is pretty good and pretty welcoming and that's also um i think one of the things about imposter syndrome i remember when i was a bit young younger i kept kind of <laughs> hoping someone senior in quotation marks would step up and do something and then at some point i looked around and i realized i was the most senior person in the room so eventually you then just kind of have to do it yourself because no one else will so you have to be that person for other people and And some of the ways of showing up, as scary as it might be, and as much of an imposter as you might feel or might actually be, it doesn't really matter. But just that act of showing up really transforms the space. I had an interesting experience at a conference a couple of years ago where they had a session on gender. And the initial setup was meant to be binary, because one male facilitator, one female facilitator. And I then got in touch with them. And they then invited me to actually co-facilitate with them. So we had three options. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. So the idea was that after an introduction, people would split into the three groups and then do something separately and then we would bring it back together. And I was like, what if I'm going to be sitting there and there is literally nobody? It's going to be the most terrifying thing. So as the group split up, it was about 30 or 40 people. I sat there in the middle and all of a sudden we were three people. There were lots, quite a few other people who felt drawn to the space in the middle and all of them told me they had come to that session kind of slightly mm, uneasy about the whole setup Um, and they were just so glad that that option was on offer now I do have to say part of why it was so terrifying for me was I had not actually been out so my coming out as being non-binary was by running a session at an international conference I would not recommend that there are more gentle ways of um, making taking that first step but it worked Um, it worked for me i survived i had lots of fun it was an amazing session and it also opened up the space for other people some of which i'm still in touch with so why i'm telling you this is it might feel scary and every step you take is not just a step for yourself but it's a step for everybody else who is like you and also it doesn't need to you know Like I often say crawling on your eyebrows counts as moving forward and I think that's right. It doesn't need to be a perfect step. It just needs to move a millimeter or a centimeter and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And that's how change happens.
24: Imposter syndrome, that's a tricky one because I've often been treated as an imposter even though I am legitimate. However... Being in that circumstance, eventually will lead you to feel like an imposter. Um, So, when I was young and I was a musician, I had imposter syndrome really badly. I didn't think I sang well enough. I didn't have the looks in my own mind. You know, I had... eczema, different things that challenged me and made me feel like I couldn't live up to certain expectations. However, I was hooked on singing and songwriting and I thought there must be a way, how do I project myself, authentic self? And once I came out of music because of challenges Learning made me feel like much less of an imposter because I felt that I was able to progress according to my deeds, not like in music. However, I did then hit glass ceilings, and you know, you're always dealing with microaggressions and racism. You kind of, unfortunately, get used to it, and you 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 fold it into your daily life. You manage it, you, you have that as a as an aside. You try to. Um, so it's difficult for me to talk about imposter syndrome. It's difficult for me to talk about anything because I think there's so much assumptions, there's so much prejudgment, there's so much weighted and loaded into the system as it currently stands that most conversations aren't being had from the from the right starting point so now sometimes i could say to myself you could be engaged and be a part of change in that conversation and in my own way i do and perhaps there is a bit of imposter syndrome in there and thinking who will listen to you, and they don't, so it gets confirmed. So there is imposter syndrome there, but I'm a very heart on your sleeve, don't plan so much person, so I'm very quite authentic, and anything that is inauthentic is waiting to be brought to light and healed in my own mind. I don't have things to hide, I have things that are private, but I don't have anything to gain from not being myself, so why should I feel like an imposter?
0: I hope you can understand why I decided to leave those two, from Christine Lior and Alex, to the very end. So, there it is women talking about imposter syndrome. As we said before, and as I will continue to do, um, this is a massive thank you to all the women who supported this episode, with nominations, uh, submissions themselves, recordings and so on. There were women who spoke to us about a submission but then chose not to send one on to us, and that's cool. What I'd like and, and what we'd hope is that at the next opportunity that we have to build a collage of women's voices, and there will be more opportunities, I have no doubt about that, that you will want to join in. As I said before, this was something that I really value. As you may know, the idea of the podcast only came about a few months ago, and to understand the recording, editing, marketing, publishing, etc. has been a wonderful learning experience for me. Um, and this episode is the, the, the combination of that. If you want to join in with Women Talking About Learning, then please let us know. You can do that via the website, womentalkingaboutlearning.com. Or you can email us, hello at larne.com. That's hello at larne, dot com. The website lists the topics we're thinking of doing, and you can add to those if you wish. The website also has a link to a donation site. There will never be a Patreon or subscription model for women talking about learning. Uh, quite simply, we determined that access for everyone for the podcast should be free at the point of entry. So there will never be any form of paid gateway to access the site, access the podcasts, etc. That means all the costs to run the site, Zoom subscriptions, web presence, etc. come from us. I'm not going to do this very often, but if you think it's worth the cost of a tea bank to keep me in tea while we're editing it, then you can chuck us a quid just to keep the streams running. They're going to be running anyway, (laughs) because I think this is too important a topic to stop doing it, and so we'll end up absorbing the costs. We will be back on Tuesday the 5th of January, and every Tuesday thereafter. We want to thank you for listening and for your support. We wish you a good Christmas, however difficult that may be, in 2020. And hope that you can have a successful and peaceful new year in
5: 2021.
0: You have been listening to the Women Talking About Learning podcast. Women Talking About Learning is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music and Alexa, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or your favourite podcast app. You can get in touch with Women Talking About Learning via email, on Twitter at WTAL underscore podcast, or via our website, womentalkingaboutlearning.com. Make sure you tune in next time for more Women Talking About Learning. For more of The Signal, none of the noise.